Welcome to The Spoken Nerd, the podcast about database technology. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and we continue on this episode talking to Tim Hall from oraclebase.com. In the last episode, we spoke about Joel Kalman Day and the importance of community. In this episode, I spoke to Tim about the one thing he's probably most known for in the Oracle community, his amazing oraclebase.com site. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Spoken Nerd. I suppose one of the big projections that people have onto you in terms of being a global Oracle expert is probably based on just the volume, the volume of work on your blog, which obviously has been going for so long. Let's take it right back. Why did you start the blog? Or I should say the site, not because you have a separate blog yet. Why just start the site? It was really quite a basic thing. I came to IT quite late because I did a PhD in genetic engineering. It was nothing to do with IT. So, but I, I rock up to an IT job kind of by accident in my mid twenties. And of course I was several years later than most people who started IT straight from their degrees or even people that started from A-levels or something. So I felt like I had to play catch up a lot. The way I find, the way I learn things is I tend to try and write them anyway. So I would write scraps of notes on say notepad or whatever. I would carry those round on floppy disks with me or later I'd burn them onto CDs because I wanted to have that reference with me. You know, I've not got the best memory. So if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Then in about around 2000, I started working for an internet company. And as part of that, I did, I was doing DBA work and database design, but as the design element started to slow down, cause we were nearer to the final solution, they obviously wanted me to pick up some other skills to fill out my day. And I started learning about web technologies at the time that company was active server pages. I started learning about that and I thought what I should probably do is put all my scrap notes onto the internet. There were already some sites around at that time in 2000. I mean, a few people had started in the late nineties or mid nineties. So I started a website and started putting some stuff on it after about less than a year. I think it was. I realized the name wasn't very good, so I rebranded it. I wanted to call it Oracle Home, but someone had already got that. So I thought, hey, Oracle Base, that will do. And so I rebranded that site. So the site was around, uh, I think, just less than a year, maybe just over a year before it got the name change. So I sort of quote two dates for when it started. Um, but essentially, it was July 2000 is when I started doing this. It's been over 21 years now. And essentially, I just carried on putting any notes that I was writing to learn stuff on there. And I think probably the biggest draw was when I did the 9i certification. I did the beta certification. So you have to answer all of the questions in the pool and write comments on them. And you've got like three hours, but it's really difficult to get through them all because you're actually not just answering the questions, you're writing comments on them as well. But my notes in preparation for that, I published on the website and that got a lot of attention because effectively I was giving free study guide material. Like the exam cram years when, when those books went berserk. Yeah, absolutely. So that was probably what garnered me a big rush of attention. And then I was also on forums like dbasupport.com, which is where I met Julian Donchev. But I was on there answering questions. And what I would often do is use those questions as a launch pad for an article. So someone asked me a question, it's far easier to write a 
post about it and then link them to that post because then when someone else asks the question again you can just link back to the original post so i found myself answering lots of questions on forums by writing articles and posting a link to them and of course that then starts to swell and over the course of 21 years there's a lot of posts and then in 2005 i started the blog which was meant to be more just opinions because I don't like having opinions on the website. I like the website to be sort of facts and how-tos. I don't like to say too much about the features because I feel like it's a distraction. People want, how do I do this? They don't want, what does Tim Hall think about this? Whereas the blog was meant to be more, what do I think about? So I will often write a blog post that says, here's this new feature. I think it's great at this. I think it's terrible at this but the article on how to do it doesn't have any of that commentary in there. So I feel like that separation is good. I mean, I sort of feel like the facts go on the website and the bullshit goes on the blog. That's the way I kind of separate the two. After my blog's probably different in that sense. Mine's more anecdotes and, and hopefully people will find some feature functionality interspersed in there, but I'm, I'm very much a storyteller in that sense. But it's funny you mentioned that they're scraps of notes and burning to CDs and stuff. That's literally almost exactly like mine but for mine it was my big internet exposure not for myself but in terms of learning the internet even exists was on deja news and and you'd ask questions there and, and there were like the jonathans and tom carts of the world were answering because it's almost like an email trail and i was using like netscape navigator back in those days anything which i thought was a really cool piece of information from one of these people i would sit and cut and paste into a text file but of course because it's like email it would all be indented and there's arrows and all this kind of stuff and so i'd tidy them up and put them in text files and literally a friend of mine said rather than storing them on on floppy disks and carrying them around much like yourself he said you should use the world wide web yeah because it wasn't internet in those days it was called the world wide web and he said you should do a web blog yeah because i i didn't know anything it's like blog and like that and so that, that's where I started oracledba.co.uk because I literally, I was 99, I'd just moved to the UK. But the funny thing is I tidied up the content and I'd stick it up there purely for my reference. And this is how naive I was. After about probably three or four months, someone sends me an email saying, all this stuff on your website, it's just plagiarized. It's just been taken from Deja News. To realize that, yeah, they were right. Effectively, I'd just taken stuff which was useful to me, put it in a nice format that I could easily access from anywhere and stuck it on my site because I'm thinking I'm the only person that's going to find this useful. Thankfully, someone called me out pretty early. They said, this is actually is just plagiarism. So I ripped it all apart, reposted it all with links to the original Dejo news stuff and ever, and ate my humble pie. But it's funny how like, yeah, that's that same thing. It's that ability that I just want to be able to access my own stuff easily from anywhere. Yeah, I think back in those days as well, people now don't realize what it was like. Sites would come and go back then. So there's no guarantee that you would get to the same site again, because a week later, someone got bored of maintaining their site and closed it down. So I think it was very common back in those days for people to want to grab a copy of whether they printed it out or whether they copy and paste it into a Word document or something. And we saw this a lot with the early white papers. If you now look for Anio Kolch YAP paper, you'll find it, but it's a different URL than it was every year for the last 20 years, you know? So for people back in that day, it was probably very common to want to copy and paste that way. I think the world has changed a lot now, you know? So I get quite annoyed when people start copying my stuff and I'm quite forward about contacting them. And if they don't do anything about it, I do send out DMCA takedown notices on them because 
I feel like I've put 21 years into this for someone to just rip off the site in a weekend using a sort of site ripper and publish it is not on. Most people don't do that. Most people get a little bit liberal with their copy paste. You know, they want to write their own article in double quotes, but they don't really have the skills to do it. And they just copy and paste too much. And you can kind of, if you catch them early enough, you can educate them. But ultimately, we're all writing about the same things. And most of our stuff is derivative of the Oracle manuals. We're not necessarily breaking that much new ground. We're giving a personalized experience. Like you said, your blog is anecdotes. Yeah, it's like, what did I need to do? How did I do it? What features allowed me to do it? What have I learned in that process? Is something you'll never get from a manual. And I think that's where people enjoy other people's content. And with mine, it's like, how do I do this? Okay, this is how you do it. And here are links if you want to know more information. And it's almost like a gateway into the documentation. If I haven't done a thing for a few months, I'll read my own article on it and then jump back into the manuals because the article gives me some context. So I think that's where our content can help. But it's kind of silly to think that us as individuals are really doing anything other than doing something derivative of the manuals not to undersell yourself i know i before in preparation for having a chat with you i asked a few people i said what what's the appeal of articles on oracle base as opposed to just getting it out of the docs there was a few responses the vast majority <laughs> of them seem, the, the vast majority of them seem to be positive but <laughs> And, and 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 we'll focus on them. We'll focus on them. But one of the, one of the common themes they said when I'm going through the docs and I'm looking up what's what's a good example? Yeah, let, let's say I want to send an email. If I'm going through the docs, if I want to send an email, it says you do this, and then it says oh if you get an, you know, if you get an error, then you need to set up an ACL. And the ACL docs are here. And then you go to the yeah, it says oh, here's the oh, if you want to see what ACLs you currently have. Well, that's in the database reference under the view for DBA, ACL, you know, network, whatever. They're constantly playing catch up. Whereas they said when they go to your site, it'll be the opposite. It'll be, well, before you start thinking about sending that email, you'll need some ACLs. Before you start setting up your ACLs, you probably want to see what's already there. And so on the one page is really, it's the function they were trying to achieve. Whereas the documentation, that function is actually littered throughout sort of the reference. Yeah. Material. And this is a conversation I've had with the documentation team at Oracle a number of times. Uh, I really feel like documentation has to be layered. Ultimately, the bottom layer of that is the what they've already got. All of the detail, the technical detail, the references, the individual package definitions and things like that. But then you need to layer up from that where that's things like practical use cases, which is what I think a lot of us end up posting on our blogs and websites and stuff like that. And then a layer above that is the really sort of cheesy, quick how-to that's got less detail than the practical usage. And it's almost unrecognizable compared to the, the, the lower level detail. But you've got to give people that journey through and people can end their journey wherever they feel comfortable. One of the things that, and we'll probably get to talk about it later, one of the things that I think it's important is we as individuals, we do experience these products, how we use them and forget that there's other people who've got a very different mindset about it. If you're a developer, you don't care about how the database gets installed and stuff like that. You just care about, I want to have a user that can create these objects and do these things. 
how you get to that point is almost irrelevant to you because it's not your business. And I think we, like me as a DBA developer, I almost have this assumption that everyone cares about some of this stuff when the reality is they just don't. And it's really good to speak with other people and get that influence. I remember being at Open World when auto-indexing was announced. And my first reaction was, how do I turn it off? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the person sitting next to me was a developer. And they went, oh, that's great. And I suddenly thought, right, yeah, Tim, it's not all about you. Believe it or not, Oracle don't design their products to please you. And that's the reality. There's different people with different sort of needs. And these things focus on different people. I think that's really telling. And it's easy to lose sight of that. We've both been blogging for many, many years. We've both done that the two decades. And another common thread between us is we've both got into video because we're both multimedia superstars. (laughs) (laughs) I'll ask you before I share mine, what were, you, what were your motivations for getting into video? A lot of the time I do things because I'm scared about them and I don't like the fact I'm scared about them. And so I force myself to do it. That's why I started presenting. I'd thought about doing videos for years, like literally years, but I didn't want to invest the time to get good at the process because it's not just about sitting in front of a camera and going, all right, how's it going? It's about actually finding a specific voice, finding a way of presenting that you're comfortable with, but also you think people might sort of gravitate to. There's the technical aspect of how to physically do the recording and prep it and then render it and upload it, which I didn't have the skills to do. But there's also wanting to find a way of doing it that I was comfortable with. It took me quite a while to get an idea in my head about what I thought was acceptable. So I knew I, I knew I didn't want to do 45 minute, one hour presentations on the internet because the amount of effort it takes to do those, unless you're really, really okay with bullshit, then I think it's really difficult. So with me, I do lots and lots of takes. So a, a three minute video takes me over three hours to put together because I hear the words I say and I don't like them. I'll write a script to give me an idea of what I'm going to say and then hate it and change it. Or when I come to say it, I realize that what I wrote doesn't sound like me. It's like the written version of me and it's not real. And so I end up doing lots and lots of takes, which is why sometimes the videos come out with me sounding kind of bored because it's the 25th time I've said that sentence. I can't look at a video and see me make mistakes in it or you know stutter or something like that I have to redo it and other people are really comfortable about that and they'll just say oh hell with it this is me that's fine I really struggle with that so I find the process quite daunting even for like a three minute video so the thought of doing an hour I mean that's like 60 hours work to do a one hour video I'm not willing to do that. So when I came up with the idea of just very quick how-tos, not worrying if the video was the whole of the article, it could just be a subset of it. And I'd say, link in this description if you want more information. I purposely don't try and cover every facet of something. I'm looking at the main reason for doing it. I won't necessarily do all the prerequisites on the video because it's boring 
it's like demonstration overload. So it's about getting that little bit of stuff that's interesting that people will look at. And if they want to do it, then yeah, there's probably some background work to do. But the main thing is you get a demo of why this thing makes sense. And I think that process of getting over the technology bump, finding the type of voice I wanted to have on the channel, those things took me quite a lot of time. And so it delayed me starting. But I had quite fancied doing it. And it's really a set of skills that I have now. So if I want to do something like teach people in the company how to do stuff, I did some captures of load balancer configuration so that I could hand over some functionality across to another team and said, here are some videos of how you do it. And that was really easy for me because it saved me having to sit and do effectively classes with those people, especially when a new person turns up and they haven't had that experience. You, hey, just look at the video. So those skills are really sort of handy to have. And I tried to encourage my nephews to to do it, but I ended up doing their YouTube channels for a while. I was going to say, are we circling back to that, what you just said in terms of not avoiding classes? Are we circling back to having to avoid interacting with other people again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I think a lot of it is just that. And obviously with things like in recent years, my desire to travel around the world and present has gone down somewhat. And the YouTube channel allows me to still put content out there like that. So there's a variety of reasons. Uh, and I was very late to the party. And I think I started about five years ago or something. And I took a two year gap in the middle of it where I didn't put out any content because I just got a little bit burnt out. And I've been back for a couple of years again now doing content. So I noticed some of the early videos with the old um, comedians in cars getting coffee series. You had like the, uh, the dash cam and you were like driving along doing commentary. That, yeah. They seem to fall by the wayside. Was that not, not, didn't really grab you? I really do like that content. I like the discussion. It's almost like a podcast, um, which is another thing that uh, I did a podcast with Sherry Cabral many years ago. And I thought I should really get into this. But once again, I would struggle to do that. I can't talk for a long time without wanting to edit it. And then the editing becomes more of work than the actual discussion. But I really did like that talking in the car thing but i think there were a couple of issues with it one of which is i hate seeing myself on camera in my head i look like brad pitt and in reality i look like armpit you know so <laughs> that's not a great look for me but every so often i feel like i might start doing them again i think the difficulty with the longer form stuff as well is it's very easy to talk yourself into a corner because you have a frame of mind on one day, you say what you feel on that day, but it becomes a permanent record of your belief system for the rest of eternity. True. And I feel like some days I feel angry and I might want to say, I really don't like this. And you're then branded as a hater when actually 99.9% .9 of your content is positive. So from my perspective, I find the long form very easy to get myself into trouble. I talk shit all the time. I'm very glib. I often make stupid comments without really thinking and they seem appropriate at the time. But after the fact, you just think, oh, maybe that shouldn't have been said there. <laughs> I mean, I did a presentation once and I said something like, and you'll hear Tom Kite banging on about this thing. And then I realized it was recorded and I felt like saying, can we edit that line out? Because it sounds really disrespectful. Anyone who knows me knows I have like tons of respect for 
someone like Tom Kite. Tom told me that's why he retired. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just the way I felt like speaking at that time. And I, I feel like this is why presentations shouldn't be recorded, because I feel like it puts you in a position you shouldn't need to be. You should be in a position where you can say whatever you want and there'd be no repercussions other than maybe people in the audience disagreeing with you. Obviously, other people feel very different to that. I don't like being recorded, which is why my videos don't have my face on normally. It's just a black screen with white text on it and me rabbiting on about something. And that's where I'm comfortable. Next time I'm in the UK, instead of comedians in cars doing coffee, we'll do, what's it, let me think, database DBAs doing driving with drugs. I don't know, database is something. <laughs> <laughs> something with a D in it. Yeah, let's see how we go. So. Yeah, I think it's, I'm not averse to doing that stuff again. I think one of the difficult things is, and I've spoken to you about this with the podcast, I can't think of how many ideas to keep a podcast running. I don't know how I would do that because to to do a sort of reasonable length conversation without repeating myself constantly would be really difficult. So I've got a lot of respect for people who can put that sort of content out regularly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can talk the ears off a donkey, but actually putting out content that is valuable and useful as opposed to me just droning on, as I've been doing in this talk, that's (laughs) kind of that's hard work. And I'm not sure I'm really capable of that. And there is, to some extent, you have to stay in your lane. And the the videos on YouTube are very similar to what I do in the articles, which are, here's a piece of something that you might find useful. It's not me trying to teach you to be a superstar or trying to give you the A to Z of how to progress all the way through this. It's very much directed uh, at, this is a feature, this is how you use it. With your videos on YouTube, have you noticed the audience? Is the audience different, do you think, from that of, of the people on the blogs? Do you, do you look at any of the, the stats in terms of countries or residents and, and that kind of stuff? Or I don't know specifics about audience, but what it appears to me, based on the interaction with people in the comments, is that the people who watch my videos don't read my posts, and the people who read my posts don't watch my videos. But that's a good thing, I suppose, yeah. That's... So that really surprised me because... I don't want to get into any details, but my website is incredibly popular. And I just thought every time I put up a video, I would get thousands slash millions of views instantly because the website is so popular. The article related to the video is like many orders of magnitude more popular than the video. And that really surprised me because I just thought as soon as I did something because of the popularity of the website, whatever else I did would have that instant sort of popularity. And it's absolutely not the case. Orders of magnitude more popular in written form that is on video. But the video audience does seem to be a very different crowd. And it does appear based on the comments that the people who watch the videos absolutely refuse to read anything. Okay. So I will literally give a link in like a pinned comment or in the description that says, and I'll say in the video, if you need to know about this, there's an article on it. And then their first question will be, have you got a video on doing this? And I'll say, no, it's in the article. And they go, can you make a video on it? And it's like, if you're doing technical work and you're not reading, I don't know how you can function. Videos are a useful tool, especially in demonstrations. When I first started doing Docker, I used to do a demonstration of firing up a new SQL server 
Docker image, sorry, uh, MySQL Docker image, edit that one out. So when I first started doing Docker, I did a demonstration of firing up a new MySQL database and people in the room where I was demoing it at work, their eyes kind of went wide because it's like I did the ring, ring. Hi, Tim here. Oh, you want a new SQL server database? There you go. And they were just like, oh, my God, this takes us months to do this. I said SQL server again, and I meant MySQL. But, <laughs> you know, the point is the fact you can do in seconds what some people take weeks to achieve. That's the take home message. It's not the configuration. It's not even what Docker represents that they care about. What are the benefits of it? That that 30 second demonstration has told you everything you need to know about why this is important. And I feel like that's what the videos should be. But to watch me do the individual config steps and editing files and doing all this sort of stuff, I could never watch that on a video. I'd be asleep in 30 seconds. But it seems like there is an audience for I don't want to learn anything that's not on video. Um, so I do feel it's a very different crowd. And the numbers, even for when you look at popular uh, tech channels, the hits are tiny in comparison to what the written form gets. True. But maybe that's a product of us all being old fogies. And maybe if we go forward 10 years, that balance will shift. Also on the YouTube stats, do you look at any of the things that all the YouTube creators talk about as important in terms of retention and click-through rates and all that kind of stuff? Or I, I just can't get into it, to be honest. Yeah, I think the, the difficulty with this is if you're a professional content creator in that that is literally your only job, that's your way of making money, then I suppose that sort of stuff is important because if you're writing or producing a video and no one's watching or no one's reading, then you're not making any money. And that's a problem. And I've been very fortunate in that this has always been something I do for fun. It's not a money earner for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do earn some money from creating content. It's a tiny fraction of what most people would need to live. So I can understand someone if their job, if their, their income relies on it, getting obsessed by that stuff. I feel personally like it's absolutely the worst thing to do because people found you because you're doing what you do. If you stop doing what you do, you may well lose some of those people that found you because of that. Now, of course, you could gain a new audience. If I suddenly started doing gaming content, I would lose all the DBAs, but I might get gamers or something. You know, I feel it's important that you try and be true to yourself, because as soon as you start trying to create content for other people, it's a surefire way that you'll burn out and get bored. Because if you're not interested in doing it, it comes across, doesn't it? It comes across. You you don't do a If you said to someone tomorrow, by the way, I want you to start a website and you've got to be adding content to it weekly for 21 years, they'd think you were mad because 21 years, you can get out of prison for murder in that time. You know, it's just a massive, massive commitment. And I wouldn't have done it if someone said to me 20, 21 years ago, by the way, you're going to start doing this and you'll be doing it for 21 years. But that's the thing about you need to be interested in and sort of enthusiastic about it to want to do it. And don't get me wrong, I get times when I get burnt out and I just don't write for a little while. But that's the nature of it. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I feel like if you're chasing an audience, it's really easy to kind of lose yourself in it. Then you'll wake up one day and go, 
I hate everything I'm doing. And you see that in YouTubers where they'll have a confessions type post where they just say, I've hated everything I've done for the last two years because I've had this false positivity, like, hey, everyone, welcome to my channel, you know, when they're actually feeling miserable. And I feel like that's the sort of thing that really takes it out of you. It's not writing the content. It's not producing the videos. It's that false trying to be something you're not, whether it's false positivity or putting on a, a facade is what's going to kill you in the long run, which is why I think it's better off just saying, look, I'm fat and boring, but I like to do this type of content. If you like it too, fine, but just don't expect me to not be fat and boring. I admit, in terms of chasing audiences, I had to admit, because you and I both do video and we're fairly fresh to it, I would like to stay in the video topic for a lot longer. But I'd imagine any audience that comes to my podcast is probably tech-related. So I'm now chasing them away. So I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> Contrary to Tim's comments, I hope you didn't find that episode fat and boring. And as you can tell, we've pretty much done video to death. That wraps up this episode of The Spoken Nerd. Tim will be back again for the next episode where we finish off our discussion and talk about some of the latest technology coming out of Oracle. See you all soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music. 